we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 158 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. How are you today, Bruce? Healthy and alive. Uh, doing well, as usual. Glad to hear it. How was your weekend? We got a lot of R&R over the weekend, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Uh, pretty fun weekend. Uneventful, other than, you know, doing some R&R. Um, you could call it team building exercises, if you will. Yes, team building um, exercises. It was, it, was, uh, it was actually pretty enjoyable. Yeah. It was much needed, actually, um, and yes. I did get some more. Um, they get some more study and some research time in, so uh, that was great. And of course, that's an ongoing process. My latest search has led me to the National Archives here, so I'm going to be busy um, very soon. So uh, we're actually thinking about, and we haven't decided. This isn't like cemented yet. We we haven't decided yet, but. We're thinking about taking a uh, a week or two off in the coming month, so sometime in April. That doesn't mean we're going away. That doesn't mean that uh, we're we're actually going to be completely silent. We might show up once or twice, but uh, we do need some time. I mean, everybody else takes vacations, right? We actually don't. We haven't in I don't think ever have we. Not official. The only reason that we stopped uh, was like on the holiday because. Everything else shuts down. Like there is no news. There is none of that going on. Yeah. So it's just kind of we, we shut down because everything else shuts down. So and, and during those times, we don't even really we're not even really off because we're doing other things behind the scenes uh, during yeah. that time. So, yeah, well, we need some time and, and there's a lot of research that needs to be done and we cannot be interrupted during that time. Like I said, the path that we're on at the moment has led me to the National Archives here. So I need time for that. Uh, that's not something that can be just done in a few hours. So I, I need time for that. Uh, when you start digging through an entire nation's archives, <laughs> that takes some time. Obviously, you know, you're looking for something specific, but there's a lot of research that we're doing and we need time in order to do that. So if you will please kindly bear with us uh, in the coming days, weeks and months ahead, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. But like I said, we will not be disappearing completely. Uh, we'll still be back probably once, twice a week, and then we'll be back full time after that. But we do need a couple of weeks to um, 
to dedicate some time to research and to put some time in for personal time as well. So it's much needed. It, it is much needed. We uh, we could use the break. And as you said, it's not really even a break, but you know, it's not like we're going anywhere as in like we're not going on actual holidays or something. Uh, we're just going to be and we'll probably consult just about every day anyway uh, on the things that we we build on or things that we find or pass notes back and forth as we always do. So uh, that is something that we're exploring in the uh, in the coming weeks ahead. So just be forewarned of that. Anyway, uh, moving right into the events of the day, Bruce, we got another train derailment. We've got a 70 car train that has derailed in North Dakota and it has spilled hazardous chemicals all over the place. Most notably, a, uh, a hazardous material that is used in the manufacturing of asphalt that has spilled all over the place and hazmat teams are there on site uh, to be able to, uh, to get this contained. And that's not the only thing. That's not the only thing. If you think that's bad, we have a 180 car runaway train as we speak at time of recording in California right now with no one on board doing 80 miles an hour. Um, how do you propose you stop that? Or are you just going to wait for that to derail too? Yeah, I think that's the, the answer right there is they're just going to wait for it to derail as well. My understanding is these are all automated nowadays. You can uh, control them from a centralized hub elsewhere, control the train slow it down, speed it up, whatever. And so not having an engineer on there is not really needed anymore. Why didn't they do that in East Palestine then? When the surveillance footage clearly showed that the wheel was on fire, what was it, like 20 miles before? Why wouldn't mm -hmm. you remotely shut it down? Or was that not functioning that day? Supposedly it wasn't functioning. And supposedly the Funny. automated system was blocking the engineers from slowing the train down. Funny how that happens. It. Yeah, funny how that mm. happens. Just, you know, just coincidence, those things. Just just crazy. We've got a Department of Transportation whistleblower who's out today who has said that Mayor Pete, you know, Pete Buttigieg, the uh, Buttigieg, whatever his name is, I don't know. They've said that he is running the department on a uh, on a political basis. Now, I, I never would have guessed that, would you? Never would have guessed. No. A political basis? No. Really? You mean if you're a, a blue state or, or if you're a red state, that determines whether or not you get assistance from the Department of Transportation? I never would have guessed that. Would you? No, not at, not at all. I mean, it, it took him, what, like two weeks before he even commented on the one in uh, Ohio? And, and then it, it took him, what, like three weeks before he showed up actually uh, down there? And when he was down there, it was pretty clear that he was a diversity hire. That he didn't actually know anything to do with transportation. But but lighting. He's good at that. He's good at doing lighting. So you, you, you got that going for you. It's almost like he consulted Boris Johnson before he went down there because he showed up in the hard hat and the safety glasses and the, the high visibility vest. He is the uh, the diversity hire, as you say. And and that's all. That's what it was all about, is we're in the, the era of... Um, uh, what, what's the identity politics? That's what it is. And so he ticks all the boxes. So he he's ticking the box. And or at least okay. some of them anyway. Or some of them anyway. Yeah. But he is uh, he's also a young global leader of the World Economic Forum. So it stands to reason that even after his tenure of Department of Transportation, he's still going to remain in government. I would venture to say, and he's young enough, I would venture to say that he'll probably be on the Democrat ticket again, which is what landed him there in the first place. So he'll probably be on the, uh, the next Democrat ticket uh, if they're going to try and uh, are they going to run him again? They cannot run him again. They're they're going to try. Uh, really? I I don't I don't know. I I don't think they can. Uh, in in the current climate of things, 
more than likely it's going to be Biden. And if it's not Biden, it might be Newsom. Uh, that's about no, what I what I said. The only that, ones. When I said they're not going to run him again, I meant Biden, not booted, not not Pete. Oh, 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 Biden. My bad. Yeah, no, I think they're going to. He intends to run again, whether or not he'll. I don't know. I I, I don't know. For an incumbent president to lose is rare uh, in our history. That's that's only happened a few times. So I don't know. And they have a system in place that cannot lose. And look at this all-star candidate. Look at this all-star candidate that they're putting up there to run as the incumbent. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding. I'm not. God. Ben, how are you, pal? One of the best guys in the United States Congress, Ben Cardin. Folks, uh, welcome to the White House. It's a delight to have you all here. And who are those good-looking kids back there? They're your kids, all four of them? Yes. Well, stand up, guys. Who says stuff like that? What kind of self-respecting supposed president of the United States says stuff like that. And by the way, did he say that he likes to eat Chinese ice cream? Did I hear that correctly? That's what I thought I heard as well. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what he said there. Chinese chocolate chip ice cream. I mean, that's what it came out as. At least that's that's what I thought he said. That's but, what it sounded like. Yeah. I, I don't know what else he was saying there, unless there's a brand that's close to that, that I don't, I'm not. I didn't even know that Chinese, do they even eat ice cream? You're going to come out, you're going to introduce yourself as uh, Dr. Jill Biden's husband. I still don't even know what she's a doctor of. Isn't she like psychology or something like that? Well, she's a terrible psychologist. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it looks like her thesis was on student retention at the community college, meeting student needs. Okay. All right. Whatever. And then, of course, you've got Vice President Kamala Harris. Surely they're not going to put her back on the ticket. This was her this afternoon. She's currently on her trip to... Uh, to Africa, if you didn't know. And apparently it's going well. I'm very excited about the future of Africa. I'm very excited about the impact of the future of Africa on the rest of the world, including the United States of America. Uh, would that be from the uh, cobalt mining that is taking place in countries like where you are currently? Uh, is that the case? Because I don't know, lady, did you take a trip to any of those mines with some television cameras? I'm betting not. I'm betting you didn't do that. Bruce, you and I were looking at a, um, a video of one of these um, uh, these cobalt mines for these clean electric cars because you're saving the planet. It looked like a, a very green mine, didn't it? Yeah, it was very, very green as the mine was collapsing and they were rescuing kids out of it and uh, smaller individuals. I couldn't tell if they were all kids or if they were, you know, some young adults in there. Difficult to tell. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was quite green. That was horrible conditions. Reminiscent of honestly, like slave labor. Honestly, it looked like what it reminded me of is seeing like the uh, movies from like uh, you know, like the, the Wild West, you know, and what it was like when they were building the railroads and all that kind of stuff and the living conditions of the Oriental population uh, working on the railroads. That's what it felt like to me. It's kind of reminiscent of that. And again, all of that cobalt is going to be mined in those those safe working conditions, right? You saw how safe they were. All of that cobalt is going to be mined in there. They're all going to go 
towards your electric cars, right? Because they're clean and you're saving the earth and you have to do that because that's part of your ESG score. And of course, I mean, they don't bother to tell you that there's not going to be any power for you to charge those things. Or if there is any power, it's going to be so expensive you can't afford it. Uh, at least, you know, for us, the um, uh, the peons here, we're, we're not going to be able to afford it. Americans already made it pretty clear they don't care about slave labor because the stuff that came out with Foxconn and your smartphones, American people didn't care. Um, they True. they voiced it and said, oh, we care. But um, what was actually changed? Did the American people stop buying uh, smartphones from companies that um, in, uh, use slave labor or even child labor? Uh, no. In fact, the uptake of those devices has increased over the years. Um, so no, I, I don't think the average American cares that the the cobalt for your um uh, electronics your batteries um i don't think they care that it's slave labor or in atrocious uh conditions um such as what we've seen there it's a fair point we're a big proponent around here of uh, doing something called voting with your dollars right so if you don't like something then you just say well i'm not going to buy it i'm not going to support it if i don't want this product then okay i'm i'm not i'm not going to do business with that person or that company because I'm not going to waste my money on something like that that doesn't hold my values or respect my purchasing choices. So in reality, you as the individual, you actually hold all the power. Collectively, as a populace, we hold all the power over these big corporate companies that force their nonsensical ESG crap down on us. If we decide that we don't want these products, if we don't want these agendas, all we have to do is say, go kick rocks. I'm not buying a damn thing from your company anymore. And guess what? They will go out of business tomorrow. Of course, there is a limited window of opportunity. You see, if we ever wake up to this fact and they already have the establishment of a central bank digital currency, you can kiss that plan goodbye because they'll just digitize whatever they need and tell you, well, sorry, uh, there's nothing you can do here. Now, not drifting too far because I don't want to get into the digital currency stuff, but not drifting too far. Let's say that this type of thing is already happening, but we're not really seeing it. We're not seeing it because the average person isn't purview to that. And of course, you've got a compliant lapdog media that carries the ESGs and all that, the rest of that junk and all that propaganda, that green energy agenda. And so they're not going to report it. Ford, okay, Ford, Ford car company, right? They are going to lose billions of dollars on these electric cars. Billions, okay? Just, just to give you an idea. Now, on Thursday, this last Thursday, the Ford Motor Company said that they anticipate their electric vehicle division will lose $3 billion this year after they've poured most of that into it this year from stolen taxpayer money, I might add. The financial losses over the last two years that they've already had, they lost $2.1 billion last year and they lost $900 million the year before that. But they say that, well, you know, those losses, you're, you're expected to take losses when you start up like that. You're, you're expected to take losses. I'm sorry. You're the oldest car company in America. You should know with your track record and your existence, your, your, hist your company's history, you should know what the American buyer wants. You're telling me a company that makes the most successful and biggest selling pickup truck on this planet the Ford F-150. We sell one of those every eight seconds in America, for those that are wondering. Now, you don't sell a vehicle every eight seconds 
of a particular kind of vehicle, a specific model. You don't sell one of those every eight seconds if you don't understand what the buyer wants. But apparently, they think that, well, we know what the future wants. The future wants an electric car. No, the future does not. The Ford electric truck, the Ford electric explorer, these damn things, they don't work. If I'm a, let's say I'm a construction company owner, or, or if I'm, hell, just a construction worker, I don't even have to be the owner. And I'm, I'm working in that business and the boss expects me in my pickup truck to go down and pick up a load of lumber at Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever in the hell you are, right? Go down to the local lumber yard, go down, pick up some bricks or whatever, get, get me a half a ton of gravel or something, throw it in the back of that pickup truck and bring it back to the job site. Oh, sorry, boss. I got to charge my truck first. It's going to be about six hours. Um, no, no. The, these things, you cannot expect this new Ford electric pickup to actually do any work. No self-respecting farmer, rancher, or construction worker is going to have one of these pieces of junk. Oh, well, you can get 150 miles out of a full charge. Okay. How much if you're actually hauling something? Less than 50. And that's only if the temperature is above freezing. Well, there's a novel concept, right? Oh, oh, and by the way, there's just this one other thing. Uh, you can't cross any any high water in those things because it could catch on fire and just explode. And, well, that'd be the end of that. According that's to no the problem. footage. Yes, yeah, no problem. Really? No, no, of course not. If you're running cattle or anything, you know, in wintertime and, uh, you know, you're, you're out horses. checking to make sure the, uh, yeah, you make sure the, the uh, ponds aren't um, frozen over or, you know, you have a bad rainstorm and you're having to go make sure cattle are, you know, um, safe, you know, and you, you happen to go through a ravine or something that has a bunch of water in it, you know, which is not uncommon when you're running cattle. Yeah, that's not a problem at all. Having an electric truck, no. Or if it's nice when you set out, you know, you got, say, a, I don't know, a 10,000 acre ranch. It's nice when you set out and the weather turns halfway through the day when you're out checking on your livestock and you don't have enough juice to get back. Oh, I guess you're going to need one of those generators in the in the back of your truck there with some diesel to get that thing charged up, which, by the way, you actually did the math on that. It's less than nine miles to the gallon by using a diesel generator in the bed of the truck, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, about that. According to the Financial Times, Ford's chief financial officer, uh, so the CFO, John Lawler, said, quote, Ford Model E is an EV startup within Ford. And as everyone knows, EV startups lose money while they invest in capability, develop knowledge, build volume and gain share. You're some thick people, aren't you? You have got to have the most sophisticated group of researchers, market analysts, and salespeople within your company, and you can't see through this, or maybe you can, and you're just willfully negligent. Are they trying to torpedo America's oldest car manufacturer? What would you think? I mean, personally, I would say not just the um, car manufacturer, but also every manufacturer, every business in the United States of America, uh, both small and large. And they'll just use modern monetary theory to run uh, the, the rest of the businesses, you know, the, the state approved businesses. That's how they'll stay afloat is they'll just print money and raise taxes on us because, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, if you can just print money infinitely, why why have taxes? There, there's no point. There's no point to steal from the people other than control to ensure that you have something on the people. If you don't pay your taxes, you're one of those types. Well, you can have the government come after you. That's a mechanism of control. Uh, so, yeah, this whole 
system that we have coming at us right now. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, I am. Yeah, no. We we've talked about it a little bit, and I won't get I won't get into the the weeds on it. But July is the first rendition of this. It's not a digital currency, but it's pretty damn close. It's going to be cashless, and it's going to allow you to use like a debit card or whatever the heck it is with the central bank. Um, that's going to be the first first iteration. Um, then it's going to progress further, and they'll say, "See, this is nice, right? We can." If we if we had the entire system to be cashless and to be a CBDC, um, we could make it easier for you to pay taxes or your bills or uh, to give you that universal basic income. And once you sign on to that, um, as you stated earlier, you can't uh, boycott companies because they they don't support your values. You're required to buy certain products that the state says that you buy. So you want to get a certain brand of, you know, you have a favorite brand of paper towels. Well, I'm sorry, that company that that brand that you like, I'm sorry, it doesn't it doesn't capitulate with the ESGs. They don't they don't meet that. So you're going to have to buy this other brand of paper towels. Now, that that's just something that that's a minor uh, product they're looking at controlling you in every single aspect of your life. So the fact that companies are basically destroying their their model, that's why. Bruce, it almost sounds like you're you're talking about them bringing in a, a new form of socialism. Almost seems like that's what it is. Yeah, it's a about a mix of socialism and fascism. It's kind of a you know a state allows you to have your private business, uh, but you got to do a few things first uh, for the state. And don't forget to you got to show up and get you, for your vaccine appointment. Don't forget that because they're going to schedule that yeah. for you. And if you don't have that, well, then you know you're you're going to find yourself inconvenienced and and out in the cold you won't have any money you won't have a home you won't have any food you won't have a car you won't be able to take any transport you know we watched one of those um those mock-ups it was done with like the little memey things but it was it was like the uh the, the social credit society or whatever it was what did you think of that um yeah that 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 is a great example of uh it was a dra- uh, dramatization of what will happen uh, this is possibly what could happen in the future. And that's the thing is everything is going to be so integrated with social credit. You can't talk. You you can't put your smartphone away and be like, well, you know, you're, you're going to have a conversation with your friend about the social credit system. And so you put all your devices away and you're like, OK, yeah, it's secure now. We can talk. No, it's not. Your, your fridge. It's also part of the, the smart system. Your, your TV. I mean, Everything now is you, you, you have one of the Amazon or Google devices, your thermostat, all of those things are part of the system. So congrats, guys. Not only do they have cameras and microphones, which supposedly, supposedly we're, we're supposed to have a bill go through that's going to requir- require companies to tell uh, consumers that your product has a camera or a microphone in it, supposedly. So, I mean, that's that's a good thing, I guess. At the same time, you have to believe companies are telling you the truth. And you also have to believe that the average person cares. When we just talked about slavery in another country, um, they don't care enough to stop buying that product. They just buy more of the product. Full well knowing that Foxconn, they have nets around their facilities so people don't jump off to commit suicide. They still try. And then they just put them right back to work. They still try. 
that's the crazy thing. They they still try. People still try to throw themselves out of those those buildings because the conditions are so horrible. You're working in there for like you're chained to your workstation for like 16 hours, and if you somehow or another manage to wiggle yourself free and you try to commit suicide, they'll catch you in one of those nets and drag you back in there and chain you back up. That's a real free and prosperous. Like this, this is the country of peace, mind you. This is the country oh, of it's, it's a developing country. This is an right, upcoming yes. country. Yeah. <laughs> it's a developing country, sure. Well, in this society that's going to be based on uh, what what do they what do they say? China is the model, right? China's the model. Mm, which China's the I model. actually you know something? I was thinking on that today. And Bruce, this goes to what we're working on behind the scenes, but I actually think that China is the model, but that's not really what it is. China's the model, yes, that's what we're meant as the um uh, the, the lowly peasants here. That's what we're meant to adopt and, and reproject out there. For Yeah, China's the model. But is it really? No. I think China's just the front. That's what I think. I think the model of that is coming from somewhere else. I don't think that it's indigenous to China or to the people here in the West. Just my thought. I mean, there's three countries that have the same system as China, yes. um, more or less. And they all share the same ideals and ideas, and they're all buddy-buddy with one another. Yeah, well, supposedly. that's I mean, that's what we're told. On the surface, I think they are buddy-buddy. I, I yes, think they are they on are. the surface. True. Um, For sure. Yeah. But I, I think I think all the above are willing to stab the other in the back the moment oh. that it would be advantageous for oh. themselves. What have I always told you about socialists? Now, you can argue what you want about what flavor of socialism doesn't matter. I, I mean, I've heard socialism described, and this is the honest truth. Every socialist I've ever met is the same way in this regard. How many forms of socialism are there in the world? Well, to find out the answer to that question, you have to understand how many socialists there are in the world because each one of them believes something differently. So yes, I believe that is the case. They are on the surface, buddy-buddy with each other. But who do socialists hate more than anybody else in this planet? It's not capitalists. It's other socialists. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think the reason that these countries are together and coming against us is because the West is the great enemy right now. They can deal with each other and themselves once they get rid of the West. Then they get to decide who's going to be the ruler of the planet, if you will. Uh, and, there's also and that, that's kind of yeah. You know. There's also a third that we don't really discuss on much in, in here because it, like it has wider geopolitical implications, but we actually don't touch on it much here, and we probably should start getting into it. But there is a third contender in this, and that's Saudi Arabia. And you've mentioned it before many times here, and and that is their ambitions to create a world Islamic caliphate. So there is a third geopolitical contender here that we kind of ignore, and we kind of ignore it because of the deals we have with them because of oil. Right. Um. You know, we 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 kind of play nice with them because. Because they use the petrodollar uh, and that helps us out. And in turn, we help them out. You know, again, if America was out for America, uh, we would be exporting more oil than any other country right now. And we would stabilize our own currency because you want to do business with us and have cheap oil. Well, you're going to use our currency. But instead, we uh, use other countries that will stab us in the back the second they can. So who's going to run this, quote, digital society, right? If we if we end up going that direction, who's going to run it? What's well, going to be the all-powerful, the all-knowing AI, right? Well, the closest thing that we have to that right now, not saying this is going to be the final product of it, but we're, we're seeing the early stages. The Chinese have announced their thing. Uh, is it Baidu or, or something like that? And then they have whatever the one from, uh, I think it was Alibaba or, or whatever that one is. I, I think, I don't know. I can't remember. That one has launched. Let me see. The people over at Google have launched 
bard that is theirs uh and then we have chat gpt that's the big one that everybody uses at the moment but i i never would have guessed that this would be the case bruce did you know that uh, a survey was done and a study and a deep study was was launched into chat gpt and they found that it has a left bias would you have guessed that no not at all um in, in fact um uh, they, they tell us they they're going for a fair uh, and inclusive AI, yeah. and uh, you ask them anything about a Democrat, and they say, "Oh, we we just don't get into politics." And then you ask for something negative about a Republican, and it's all too willing to uh, tell you something negative about a Republican. But it doesn't it doesn't get involved in politics, and they're they're fair and and you know yeah, non biased. Yeah, non biased. Of course, you want a non biased AI, especially if you're going to have it administering society. Which, if you look at the promo video that's out for them trying to create a digital society in Ukraine, funny enough, because you have to tear the country apart so you can rebuild it, which is kind of what they're doing. They say that they're going to have everything based on AI, so there's no more bureaucracies. And of course, you don't want that to be biased in any way, shape, or form. All countries will use this as a model. A researcher and associate professor at New Zealand Institute of Skills and Technology, David Rosado, recently published a study in the Journal of Social Science titled The Political Bias of Chat GPT. Rosado administered 15 different political orientation assessments to chat GPT. So there again, 15 different political orientation assessments. So we're not talking one or the other here. It's not right, left, or, or any, any of that, that arguing within that, that paradigm. It is a well-researched study that is across the political spectrum. He administered 15 different political orientation assessments to ChatGPT, asking the AI to choose one of the multiple choice answers for each question. Only one of the assessments determined that ChatGPT was politically centrist, while all remaining 14 tests indicated that the AI had a left-leaning political viewpoint, with several results even indicating a strong socialist alignment. Go figure. For example, Rosado's data show that on the I side with 2023 political quiz, ChatGPT absurdly stated that the U.S. government should raise taxes on the rich provide free college for all, and provide illegal immigrants with subsidized health care, in-state tuition at public colleges, and the right to vote. That almost sounds like AOC, doesn't it? Pretty much word for word. It also answered that the U.S. should abolish the Electoral College. Well, who advocates for that across the U.S. all the time? And that local police funding should instead be spent on social and community programs, and that convicted criminals should have the right to vote. ChatGPT is also admittedly pro-choice and favors government funding of Planned Parenthood. Bruce, does that sound like a political bias to you in one direction? I, I mean, I don't, I, I can't really tell. No, those are all things everybody agrees upon. Nobody disagrees with any of those things that they stated there. It's, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, unbiased, sure. And this is what's supposed to administer uh, some new digital society? And you think that you're somehow, as, a, as an independently free-minded thinking person and critical thinking person, you think that you're going to be able to have a say in that? You think you're going to be able to function within that? The answer is no. I mean, you'll be able to function in it as long as you do as you're told, of course. You'll, but that remains to be it. seen how long you can remain alive as long as you do what you're told. Well, uh, the other option is to create a parallel economy. And there are people trying to do that and create parallels and create alternative currencies and, you know, cre keep, uh, keep cryptos going and whatnot. That's an option. But honestly, I mean, 
that um, I, I'll be I'll be honest with you. If you had if you had two competing systems here, this this could be an interesting conversation. If you had two competing systems here, and I'm talking about no interference, which let's be honest, that's not going to happen. I'm talking about no interference, no interference from government, no no sending the uh, the boys from the FBI in there to to strong arm everybody and shut people down. Nobody from the uh, uh, the Chinese. Uh, government and and the the Chinese Communist Party infiltrating and and shutting you down. That's not how these people operate. But if we had a system, if we had the ability to be able to build a parallel economy and a parallel system, I can guarantee you, without even going all the way down that road, I can guarantee you which system would come out victorious. And it's not the one that they're planning. There is no future in that, none whatsoever. I can guarantee you which system would win. A free market system would win. Hands down, there's not even a debate. And I'm not saying that from a standpoint of being a free market guy. I'm simply saying from a standpoint of history, look what works and look what doesn't. Look at the, go all the way back to the Bolshevik Revolution. The whole system was ready to collapse right after its implementation because it doesn't work. The same circular argument you get from these freaks is always, well, it wasn't done right. How many more times do you want to reinvent that wheel? And how many more millions of people, right and left, do you want to kill? It doesn't work. Plain and simple. They always revert back to a capitalist system. The Chinese communist system is not a communist system. It's a dictatorial capitalist system. Hell, the Nazi system wasn't even a, 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 a socialist system, at least not in terms of the economy. It was almost the same thing in reality. It was dictatorial capitalism. In other words, the Nazi party people, and this is history, you can go and look this up. The Nazi party went to the industrialists and said, look, you can do whatever you want. We don't care. But Germany needs this, this, and this first. Then you go out and do whatever you want. Run your businesses however you want. We don't care. As long as you give us what we need, do what you want. And the economy flourished. I'm not saying that's the best model to have. Of course not. But I'm simply saying that they always revert back in these totalitarian systems to a free market system in order to keep people fed, housed, and happy. This whole nonsensical university fed line of BS of collectivization of everything causes the suffrage and deaths of millions of people every single time. We've talked about it before, the... Soviet Russia, there, the you just kind of mentioned it there, but the uh, economic plan that they instituted there for a short time was literally capitalism. And of course, now it's an oligarchy. It, it is a form of fascism, more or less. Now we actually we were discussing that in in prep on how they did that. Uh, they, they actually when when the Soviet Union collapsed, I I'm doing the air quotes collapsed. Whenever that happened, they actually the, the KGB they created the oligarchy. This is in several books. I've read this in, in several different places, but they uh, they actually created the oligarchy because they needed a group of people to be able to front all the businesses through. So the government actually hasn't been able to operate without the oligarchy. They need the oligarchy now because of the current system that they have. It hasn't been a free market system. They've run all the businesses through them. And so they used the oligarchs. They they took all the money that they had that they generated through like the you know the drug plans and the and the uh, the organized crime plans. They funneled it all through the intelligence services and then fronted it through the oligarchs. Threatened them and said, "Look, if you don't do what you're told, then we're going to make sure that you're 
not around for much longer, along with the rest of your families. And they said, you're going to have to buy the treasury bill, the treasury bills for us to be able to do business. And that's how the Russian government operates. That's how they can do business on the world stage. That's just how it is. And that's how they do business. That, that's how we that's how we do, uh, transact business with them. It's an odd way of, of doing things. But uh, I mean, when you're doing business with a, a criminal cabal like that or, or China or, or something like that or one of these other countries, that's what you do. You know that you, you do business that way for some reason. That's that's what we do. That's no way to run a country, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't disagree, but isn't any different than what we already have now? No, I mean, no, that's just it. We, that we adopt pretty that. much the same thing. I mean, we we run everything through uh, oligarchs that we have, too. But we have uh, our oligarchs, though, are central banks. They're just printing. You know, they're, they're just they don't need to buy they They don't need to buy the Treasury bonds, but they're buying them anyway. They're printing the debt. And then they're buying the debt. That's insane, I might add, if you haven't figured that out yet. That's like me having a credit card and then maxing it out and calling the company and saying, "Um, I need more credit. And then they're going to say, well, you haven't made a payment. Okay, hold on. I'm going to go make a payment on it now. So I go down to the ATM. I get a cash advance at a very high interest rate. And then I pay on that. And then I say, well, look, I just made a payment. Oh, well, okay. Here's here's a bigger line of credit. That's what they're doing. It's legalized counterfeiting. They're they're expanding the balance sheets for money that they don't have. And to be fair, they've created a pretty good system from their point of view, from their point of view, not ours, because they saddle us with their debt. But from their point of view, they're living pretty well. They can do whatever they want. They can print whatever they want, and then they can saddle us with their damn problems. So if you were them, would you change up? Not much different than what we've seen in Soviet Russia when you had the elite in their circle living high on the hog while the rest of us are living in squander. Now, we aren't living in squander here in the United States, but when you compare it to the elite, they're making uh, just from the stipend they get from the government as a government official, they're making three times more than the median uh, household income. So... um, I mean, that that's kind of a problem, don't you think? They're, they're making three times that. And then when you start looking at the actual funds that they're making with the other dealings they're doing, they're making millions while the rest of us are making, you know, uh, hell, even if you make 100,000 and you compare it to what uh, the politicians are making, <laughs> you're making pocket change in comparison. Well, look at Mitch McConnell. Look at this guy. His Senate salary is uh, it's not quite $200,000 a year. He makes $25 million a year in royalties because his in-laws run six of the major shipping ports in China. What the hell is $200,000 a year when you're making $25 million? What is that? How is that not an oligarch? Would you consider that to be one of our oligarchs? Yeah, uh, Turkey Neck would definitely be one of our oligarchs because if you look at his business plan, he just comes out and says, oh, we have this problem. Uh... If you vote for me and continue to fill my coffers, I'll continue to fight against uh, said problem. And then they do absolutely nothing against said problem. It's all for show. It's all just theater. Um, yeah, he's he's an oligarch just the same. It's just we have slightly different. Like we said, it's it's a different flavor of the same thing. United States Senate. We have some challenges to overcome in there, one of which would be the senator from the Keystone State. Senator John Fetterman. Bruce, you you know Senator Fetterman, yes? Yeah, my favorite senator who's in, uh, what is it, Walter Reed right now? He is in Walter of, Reed, yes. 
Yes, uh, he, he's in Walter uh, Reed. Uh, now, now, rest assured, he's reading legislation in there, and that's how he's able to get it sponsored and get it on the House floor. Rest assured. They assured us, his office, they assured us that that's what he's doing. They even released some photos of him sitting in there reading legislation, and you know he understands every word of it. Senator John Fetterman's health is reportedly improving, but he could remain hospitalized for... I don't know, a couple of more weeks uh, as doctors work to get his medication exactly right. They, they want to get his medication exactly right. This is this is officially from uh, his office. Uh, they say that um, he checked himself in to Walter Reed National Me- uh, National Military Medical Center on February 16th for treatment for clinical depression just after he was hospitalized for a uh, he was lightheaded. He was feeling kind of lightheaded there. He was at a, a Democratic Party retreat, and he, he wasn't feeling too well. So they say that John Fetterman is making progress in his recovery from clinical depression and could leave Walter Reed within the next two weeks, but they need to get his medication exactly right. CNN reported on that one. The senator's physician recently informed him that he is as good or better than his best days post-stroke. Uh, I Just to go back on the last conversation real quick, uh, that 200000 would be the equivalent of $0.08 cents to you and I. That's the equivalent of eight cents. Um, but anyway, uh, back to Fetterman. Uh, he's he's another one of those that was uh, the the most liked and the most voted for candidates. Uh, he's another one of those. Um, I don't think he should have actually won personally. I don't think that he did. But you know, who am I? Who am I to question such a, a strong election integrity system? Stands the test of time, doesn't it? Who am I to question that? You know something? I didn't even know what he was like before. Did you know what he was like before? I've not seen him before. I didn't know before. hardly anything before before this. I, I know very little about the guy until after he had the stroke and then all the news broke and then he won. How did he win? Uh, I, I Again, yeah, <laughs> questions. A lot of questions. All right, there's another thing here on Nord Stream and Seymour Hersh, but you know what? We can talk about that tomorrow. I don't want to get into that today. I mean, honestly, uh, we've really that story, in my opinion, is done until they find something new. I think it's done in in, in my book because we've already pointed out he's a communist sympathizer. He's an anti-American type. We've already pointed that out. So everything that he says that's anti-American, that just fits his worldview that there (laughs) it, it can be proven. Even how you say it there until there's something new. What's new? If if you look at the situation and how it's set up, I understand the average person here is looking at this as, as you know, on the surface and, and you can be easily misled on it. But if you listen to the podcast that we did, how I explained the past history of President Joe Biden. So let's just assume for a second that the U.S., meaning Joe Biden and the administration at the executive level did blow up that pipeline. Okay, let's just say that they did for the sake of argument. Something like that does not happen in America. I'm, I'm just going to say this point. I know I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm just going to say this point. And this is exactly what we talked about in prep. Something like this doesn't happen in the United States without the say-so of Congress. And if the U.S. Congress was not advised on this, and this was done, again, allegedly by the administration, that means that they acted independently. And if they acted independently, well, then who actually did it, given the man's past? Well, the other thing is, is um, if you did this without Congress's approval, this is treason because this was an act yes, of war. against an ally so, in a treaty country, yes. Yes, yeah, so this is my head should roll, literally, yes. if that's the case. Yes. So, and the, the, to what's new to that point, you know, unless something out, comes out new, uh, I would consider it new if he comes out, Seymour Hersh comes out and says, yeah, I was paid by the Chinese or the Russians to, He's to not write that article. That. 
Oh, he's, he's not definitely gonna not going to say that. That's my point. Is if if something new comes out and it's that, then okay, it's war- it warrants looking into. But uh, it, until then, no, this is this is just this is just a uh, false narrative. This is just a uh, psyop yet again. And the, so, no, I I personally, I'm really frustrated by some of these talking heads because they say, oh, it was America. It could possibly be America. No, uh, again, no. they're looking at it all wrong. And now is the time that you need to be paying attention geopolitically because Russia and China are, and again, they're allied. They're they're allied. That is that that an agreement that they've had, a military agreement that they've had since the '80s that we know of, is now out in the open. It's public. They're showing the world that it is public. Now, again, you could say that they're buddy buddy on the surface, and I believe they are. But again, behind the scenes, who do socialists hate more than anybody else in the world? That doesn't mean there's not backstabbing going on and infiltration on both sides going on. You know there is. Throughout history, it's always been the same way. So I expect nothing less from either one of those two superpowers to try and infiltrate and undermine each other. It just depends on who plays the game better, Putin or Xi. And my money's not, I'm not going to say who my money's not on, but I think you already know. But they're in a position now, their posture right now is they have to move. The Chinese have to move. The Russians have to move. And they're in the process now of trying to isolate and alienate the United States from its Western allies. We've lost Brazil. We've lost, well, I'd say we've already lost Mexico. We're losing Canada right now. If you look at the Chinese infiltration. Canada's already gone. I think it's already gone. Yeah, I, I think it's already gone. They're trying to drive a wedge using this Nord Stream debacle and using Cyrus. They're trying to drive a wedge in between the United States and Germany, the same way that the U.S. tried to drive a wedge in between NATO and Russia using Ukraine. They're trying to do the same thing. I'm still out on what's going on in Ukraine. I don't know what that's all about. I legitimately don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend that I do. It's not as simple. Looking at things as we're looking at them and seeing things through the, the lens of what we're assessing right now, it's not as simple as Russia invading Ukraine. It's not that simple. I don't know what's going on down there. I don't have any idea. So I'm not even going to try and speculate at this point in time. But Russia and China have to isolate the United States from the rest of its Western allies because we're the linchpin that's holding this whole thing together. So if you can isolate America from the rest of our European allies in particular, then they can start dividing and conquering and destroying all of that relationship as well. Why? Because they're after a socialist world order. Make no mistake about that. That is what it's all about. So we're going to go ahead and call this one done. Bruce, I would like to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great evening, and we will see you tomorrow.